We've been talking about, again, a windows of opportunity. We picked the, the theme, the imagery, for a reason, thinking, one, that this is a new year, a new opportunity. But the idea of a Christian life, thinking of it like a window open, we can see out. It has to do with our future, its vision. But a window also allows us not only to see outward, it allows, allows us to also have others see in. And so these two pieces of the Christian life are, are both represented, the idea of, of pushing out and the idea of being more vulnerable. And both of those are truths. And then, of course, the idea of a window of opportunity, a saying that's part of our vernacular, it means that there's a moment that won't always present itself, but it's now to take advantage of it. It's a window of opportunity. So we're going we're gonna to explore what is, um, for, for many people, the, uh, one of the great psalms. Now, I know not everybody knows the psalms. I know a lot of you do. Psalms are, it's, one of the, it's probably the biggest book of the Bible. It uh, has uh, a number of songs and prayers. It's kind of been historically the song book of the church. It's, it's mostly written by David, but many other uh, authors also are involved in it. But one of the psalms, the 90th psalm, was, is considered the oldest. And it's, it was written by, by Moses. And it has a lot to say about life the brevity of life, the opportunity of life. I'm going to give us the context. My, my desire is to spend about three weeks looking at the, the 90th Psalm and thinking of it like a New Year's prayer. And uh, I'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to ask God to bless our time here, ask him to be with us. You know, Lord, we just come before you. Um, we're here in your house. That's a very good thing. We're here to listen. We're here to open up our heart. We can't you know, we can't pretend when we're with you. I mean, we can, but you see through it. You see us as we are. You see things that no one else sees. You know us. You know our, our dreams, our hurts, our pains, our wounds. You know our fears. You know everything. And I invite you to come and to just speak to us in ways that would compel us to want to move forward courageously with things in our lives. I pray that this year would be one of the best years of our lives, that we would have a deepening understanding of who you are and the things that you're wanting to work inside of us. I pray that as, we, as each one determines how we're going to come before you, that as much as we can, we come as honestly and humbly before you as possible. And if we do that, Lord, I know you will meet us. It's what you do. You love us. So I pray for your blessing over this time, over this word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. <clears throat> a New Year's prayer. Let's just jump right in here. Psalm 90. I'm going to read through a majority of it, and uh, make some comments along the way. And again, we're going to pick back up in this in the following couple of weeks, just sort of finish the psalm. But Moses declares, and oh, and it's important to understand that he writes this psalm with a context. In other words, there was something happening when he wrote it. You got to remember that when he writes Psalm 90, that he has... He has led the people out of Egypt, Egyptian slavery, Egyptian bondage, and they got to the edge of the promised land, the land of promise. But when they got there, the people, they lost confidence. They, they stopped believing that God could help them. And the same God that had brought them out of their slavery under the leadership of Moses, they felt was going to be inadequate to really get them into the, the new place of promise. And so they pull back. Like a lot of times when we focus on our own inadequacy or our surroundings, we can begin to distrust God's ability to help us. And they lost ground. And as a result, they, they were judged by God. 
And the Lord said, because of your unbelief, you're not going to get the blessing of entering into the promised land. Your children will, and your children's children will, but you're not. You're going you're to be in this wilderness. You're going to be a nomadic tribe of people. I mean, Moses is going to lead you. Now, and, and, you're, and that generation perished in the wilderness. Moses is writing this psalm out of the context then of, of some disappointment. He realizes that this generation is never going to know its true promise, but he still sees the grace of God even there. And so a lot of what he's writing about is not pretending that everything is good. In fact, he's going to acknowledge that some of it is not good at all, but he's going to say through this, God is still showing up for us, and he's still to be loved and trusted and worshipped, and he still has a blessing for us even in this disappointing place. So that's the background for this, Psalm 90. Let's read it together. He starts out in a big way. He declares who God is compared to who we are. He says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Generations come, generations go. We talked about that. But he says, before the mountains were even born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to the end, you are God. So what he starts out doing is he, he contrasts creation, which, you know, the natural world, he says, like these mountains that will be here long before we're gone, he says, but you've, you're, you're before even them. You span the generations. You span beyond even nature itself. You're, and, and he's declaring the, the eternal nature of God in contrast to us who are mortals. And he says, look at this, and he says, you, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to the dust, you mortals. That, that's a verse that's often referred to in a lot of the traditional funerals, from dust to dust. Someday we all return to the dust. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. He's using language to try to convey what he, what he sees as this sort of passing nature of life compared to God. And he says, you sweep people away. They're just like dreams that disappear. They're like the grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms, it flourishes, but by evening it's dry and withered under the desert sun. So is our life. He then makes this statement. He says that, you know what, you spread out. He says, we, you know, we wither beneath your anger. Now he's talking directly about them. We wither beneath your anger. He says, we are overwhelmed by your fury. You're, you're, you spread out our sins before you, our secret sins. Nothing's hidden. You see them all. We, we live our lives beneath your wrath, and ending our years even with a groan. And then he makes this statement about life. And he says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. It's interesting how little has changed. I mean, now, it was, Moses will live to be over 100. He will pass the century mark. But most of the people will, will perish in that between the 70 and 80 range. And he's acknowledging that, and he's saying, Lord, we have a span to our life for the most part. And he says that, you know, but even the best, then he makes this statement, he says, but even the best years are, are even still filled with some degree of pain and trouble. So even if we have a lot, a lot of years, even, some, even those years, even the best ones have some disappointment and hurt in them. And he says, and soon, and then even that, he says, and soon we just disappear and we fly away like a, like a bird. If you ever watch, sometimes, you, I'll, sometimes I will watch a bird. I, I, when I'm, sometimes I'm backpacking and I'll get to a, a lake up in the Sierras and I'll just sit down and I think and pray and read and all of a sudden I'll see a bird just fly near me in ways that I'm not usually going to get as much in the city. And I look at it, and I watch it, and all of a sudden, it'll just fly away. And then sometimes I trace it because it's a big sky. 
And you can just kind of see it going, 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 going. And then it's just a, gone. A bird flying away. Moses says, that's like our life. And he says, who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. In other words, he saw people perishing all around him. A generation was passing. He understood firsthand the implication of God's judgment. But then he makes this statement, which is one of the great verses in all the Bible and where I would like us to go and focus on. He says this, Lord, in light of our passing and your enduring eternal nature and our finiteness and how easily we are forgotten, Would you, in turn, teach us, look at verse 12, to realize the brevity of our life so that we may, what, grow in wisdom. He doesn't say, Lord, remind us of how frail and how brief we are on this earth so that we can lament our existence or so that we can feel sorry for ourselves. He says, Lord, remind us of of the brevity of life and how frail we really are so that we may learn to live with your wisdom in this life. The older version puts it this way, which is how I remember learning it. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. To number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to honor time. Teach us to to consider our time, our times, to reflect on our life. Think about what we're building, how we are spending this this gift on this side of eternity called life, this limited commodity. It has an end point to it. Often talk, you'll hear me periodically refer to the last box in the calendar. There's a day when that's my last box. That's my end point. I don't know that point. Neither do you. But we have one. Unless the Lord comes first, we're all going there. And in between now and then, we have a life to live. How are we going to live it? I'm going to suggest a couple of things about numbering our days and the window of opportunity that we are being presented with right now. Because the new year feels just like the right time to think about it. I know all the time is essentially the same. I get it. Really, the same minute that we count in July, you know, 13. In January 13th, pretty much, there's the same amount. Is there really that much? Well, the difference is because we mark this as a new year. This is a new year moment. And as a culture, as a people, it just feels like this is a time for assessment, for, for consideration, because it's the beginning of a new movement. And so this is a time to think about some good questions. And so I want to ask, you, ask us one, how should we be living in light of the brevity and the frailty of our lives? How should we be numbering our days? Let me just talk about how we should live and put something on the board here. I'm going to suggest that we should not live in the past. Because what good does it really do to live that way? Let's not live in the past. But two, let's fully embrace today. Let's, Let's just like remember what an opportunity today really is and then, and then on top of that, I'm going to qualify it one more, in one more way by suggesting that we are to live with an eye always to the eternal. That's what Jesus taught us. That we are not to simply live for the temporal, but that we are always to remember that, that we are eternal beings on a human journey, that we are spirit, even though our body, which the Bible describes like a tent, will perish no matter how much we pay attention to it. It is not built to last in its present form. But Jesus says there is an eternity, there is a life beyond this life. I want to talk to you about that. But most importantly, in addition to, well, let's just say as importantly, as the reality of something more 
is that I want that reality to affect you in the present and inform how you live your life. So that as we think about things that are eternal, it affects how we engage the present. We're going to talk about that. One of, I guess one of the benefits of a new year is that it really does provide us an opportunity to turn the page, a window of opportunity. And many of us have heard that. I don't know, it's a little saying, but I like it. You know, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today's a gift. That's why we call it the present. I've always liked that. Yesterday's history. Tomorrow, we don't, it's gone. Tomorrow is a mystery. Can't tell what's going to happen. But today, it's a gift. And that's why we call it the present. You know, Andre Guide, he put, this, he, he put it this way, and this is in your handout. He said, through loyalty to the past, he's talking about how we had to let go of some things to be able to move into new things. And he says, through loyalty to the past, our mind refuses to realize that tomorrow's joy is possible only if today's makes way for it. And then he uses this kind of example of a wave. And we're by the ocean, so we can see this as well. He says, for each wave owes the beauty of its line only to the withdrawal of the preceding one. So as the next one comes in, the other one's coming back. And he's talking about how the beauty of the line is really connected to the, something folding back while the other one's coming forward. And he uses it as a great analogy for us not to hold on to things. You know, here's the deal. What has happened is history. It can't be changed. The past is the past for better or for worse. It is. Can't recreate it. Can't go back. It has been. It won't be again in that way. Obviously, there are lessons to be learned. There are blessings to hold on to, memories to keep. There's a lot of good things that happened in our past, you know. But for the most part, I think, listen, as a follower of Jesus, when we make that decision, I want to suggest that we really are invited to, to live life in a forward glance. That life is best not lived in the rearview mirror. Lamenting things that didn't work out. Beaten down by guilt. Sometimes looking in the mirror and saying, what if I had made this decision? Why did I do it this way? What if this didn't happen? I should have known better. Why did I, you know, all that stuff. The if onlys, the what ifs. No, you know what? There is a value in backtracking at times to learn a little bit from it. And there's a value certainly in getting blessed by our past. I get that. I understand that. I mean, a lot of times uh, there is a wisdom even in the pain. I get that. Right? But for the most part, the Lord doesn't want us to get stuck there. I meet a lot of people who periodically, I'm listening to them, and I'm beginning to realize that. I say, how are things going? And the conversation always falls back into what happened a long time ago, sometimes way back in high school. And like they're, li like they're living in high, like high school. is like that was it. That was my real life. I mean, everything else is like, and I'm going you know, high school or college. What about to, you know, it's like, yeah, it's always like pulling back to the good old days. Today's the day. Now's the time. God has an adventure for us right where we are. There's a gift is today. So whether it's overly romanticizing the past or whether it's and getting stuck there so that we never really engage the reality of what we have to deal with now and the gift we've been given, or whether it's lamenting our past because we blew it, made mistakes, had things happen, should have seen it coming, didn't do it, and now, I'm, now this is the consequence, and I'm just stuck here. Angry, defeated, no way, no way. Not, when, we, when we follow Christ, we are called to let the past be the past. 
Can't hold on to it. You know what we're called to do? We're called to embrace the present. And there's a wisdom in it. We need to, we need to really embrace it like it's a gift. Like it's a, a new I guess a window of opportunity. You know, uh, Beekner, who's, one of, who's a writer that I really like and appreciate. He's an older writer. He's a pastor. He actually is a minister at one time as well. He wrote this. He, he, had, a, he had a piece that he called Listening to Your Life. He talked about the power of listening to our life as a way of embracing the present and, and, and really growing in wisdom. And this is what he wrote. I put a pretty large piece in there in your handout, but you can look at it with me. He's talking about life. He's exploring his own life. He's saying, I discovered that if you really keep your eye peeled to it and your ears open, if you really pay attention to it, even such a limited and limiting life as the one that I was living. And have you ever felt limited? Have you ever felt confined? See, if we ever have, this is good medicine. He says, I begin to realize that even that opened up onto extraordinary vistas. And then he starts listing some very basic things, ordinary things. He says, taking your children to school, kissing your wife goodbye, eating lunch with a friend, trying to do a decent day's work, hearing the rain patter against the window, he says, there is no event, there is no event so commonplace but that God is present within it, always hiddenly, always leaving you room to recognize him or not to recognize him, but all the more fascinatingly because of that, all the more compellingly and hauntingly. And then he says this, if I were called upon to state in a few words the essence of everything I was trying to say, both as a novelist and as a preacher, it would be something like this. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the, and then he says, in the boredom and in the pain of it, no less than in the excitement and the gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and the hidden heart of it because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. Life itself is grace. It is a gift. It's awesome. And I was thinking about it. There is a, there is a power sometimes in sitting with our pains even. Sometimes... I will, I will suggest that there are sometimes more things to learn in the sorrow and the disappointment than there is when everything's going our way. And you say, what are you talking about? I'm saying, I believe it. Because the Bible says this, that there was actually, the, the, in, in Ecclesiastes, he said, you know, I, I learn more in the place of sorrow. He says, I went to the house of, of, of mirth, joy, and celebration, and everybody was having a party. He says, I learned nothing. He says, I went to the house of mourning, and I truly engaged sorrow. And I gained wisdom. One singer paraphrased that verse by saying that I walked a, a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, leaving me none the wiser with all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. Never a word said she, but all the things I learned from her as sorrow walked with me. There are some times where the deepening of our soul takes place in the broken place where we're forced to confront real things with real questions in deep, sincere ways. Life, there is the grace of God may be even more evident in the disappointments. Life itself, though, is a gift of grace. So all, and, and as Peter says, all moments are key moments. Now, listening to your life. I'm, I'm trying to make the case that the Lord invites us to number our days and that part of numbering our days involves listening to our life. And now listening is going to involve a couple of things. I'm going to put them up. At least how I, this is how I'm processing it through. And I try to remind myself to do this, and I'm going to encourage some of us to do this as well. Listening involves, number one, 
slowing down. And we are always on the move, both literally and figuratively. We're going here or going there. We're all busy here or busy here, dropping someone off. We're always moving. In fact, it's hard to have a conversation with someone when we're on the run. I'll get back to you on that. All right? Oh, wait. But if we actually have to talk to someone, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, this is, what, this is how you do it. You go, but I, I got to get going. No, or I'm talking, I'm talking. I'm gonna, hold on a second. Let me pull over. Let me pull over here. Okay. Yeah, okay. Now we can talk. The point is, we're always going. We're always moving. We live in a culture that is amazing. It is amazing. What an amazing time. Everybody's connected. We're like a giant connected, you know, just everybody's talking to everybody in ways that before was impossible. Everybody's posting something, sending something. We're always connected. Connected, always connected. Some of us have become habitually connected. We're checking in. We don't have downtime. We're always checking in. It's, it's, the way, it's the nature of it. And it's really, honestly, it's hard to slow down. It's hard to disconnect. And here's the thing. It's almost impossible to develop spiritual depth and wisdom for depth and wisdom for living if we are always on the move and always connected and always talk. You know, I remember a day, and this is, this is going to date me, but I, I remember when there was no such thing as a cell phone. Ah, there you go. I remember, in fact, we, we finally made the decision at our house to finally, and it was like a, a painful thing for my wife and I, to finally tell AT&T that we're no longer going to pay for the landline because nobody's using it but for an answering machine that no one even checks anymore. And it was like we just didn't want to do it because it, it felt like it was a symbol <laughs> yeah, it, did, it did. And yet I remember a day, you know, I can remember a time when I didn't even, when I never, I mean, I would have to go somewhere. I mean, I remember what a break, now this is, for some of us, what do you, there was this thing called a pager. <laughs> I remember when they came out, I thought, wow, a pa- they can put a number, someone's going to call me at this number. And it would go like buzz, right? I mean, now we laugh at it, right? I mean, I remember a day when cell phones looked like walkie-talkies. You know, but now there's just amazing connect. I say all that. I'm, I'm saying this because there's been some, it's, what a blessing it is in so many ways. But at the same time, it means that we're, some of us are habitually connected, and we don't know life with really outstaying on something. And the idea of pulling out is really hard for us. And I want to suggest that that's one of the benefits of even just saying, I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to have a regular habit of coming to the Lord's house. When it's at all possible, I'm going to honor the Sabbath principle in my life. And I'm just going to listen for God in a different way with others. And there's a power in that and a benefit in that. And some of us at times, I think we might need to just We might need to just say, I'm going to detach myself, slow down, and reflect and think about life. Do what I'm going to call the number two piece here, and that is this. I'm going to reflect on how I'm I'm living, how I'm loving. Living has to do with my actions and my attitudes. I'm going to think about how I'm loving people that I say I'm supposed to love. Um, How am I loving? How am I doing in my relationships? How am I? How am I becoming? How am I growing? Am I, am I moving in the right direction? Have I r- packed my life so tightly with activity, things, work assignments, and all kinds of stuff that I don't really have time to, to dive into the deeper questions of why God has put me here, 
What is the season of life that I'm in? And what is he giving me as an assignment in this season of my life? Have I reflected on my primary responsibilities and purposes at this stage in my life? And that really leads me, to, and that's the third piece here. Have I really prayerfully considered how I'm, I am pursuing the purpose for, purposes for which I've been created in Christ? And, and we need to do this. You know, I often talk about life as stages, life as seasons. I say, you know, we have a youth, we have an adolescence, we have our young adult season, we have a, a kind of adulthood, and we, then we move into our middle years, and we start moving, we get into our advancing years, and then we get into our real elderly years. And, and each of these stages has a, a unique opportunity in it. And we can lament what we don't have, at what place we're in, or we can say, Lord, what do you want to teach me here? Who do you want me to become? What do you want me to grow into? Where do you want me to place my accent right now at this time of my life? I, th I talk about life, we, we, we talk a lot about life as seasons. Right? We say there's a, we all have a spring, and we all have a summer, and we have a fall if we live a long life. Think about Moses' analogy of 80 years. You can almost divide it in four. Spring, summer, fall, winter. And in that period, and I've often said, you know, a lot of times one, the end of one season doesn't feel that much different than the beginning of another. Like I can get, we can be in spring. Sometimes, sometimes the beginning of summer, it's hard to tell the difference between the beginning of summer and, and, the, and the end of spring. But as time goes on, we know we're in the summer. There's a certain point where summer actually starts to bleed in at the end to fall, and it's not that easy to tell. But after a while, we know we're in the fall. Same thing with the fall and winter. Eventually we get it. So it is with life. And the Lord has something unique for us. There's two, two verses that come to mind to me about this. One is 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul wrote so honestly. He says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I, I, I understood things like a child would. And, and I thought as a child. But you know what? Now I've become a man, and I, I've, I've put away childish things. Now, we often talk about childlikeness as something the Lord calls us to because Jesus said you've got to be like a child to enter into his kingdom, which means you have to be open to wonder and faith. He says, on the other hand, we're being told here that childishness can actually hold us back. Are there things that the Lord is trying to grow us out of? Because a lot of times childishness has to do with being self-consumed and immature in the way we're approaching things. We're hanging on to habits or ways in which we have been that are more, more connected to, to something that God wants to get us out of that. He wants us to grow in something very, into a very different thing. A, 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 a very, how do you say, wonderful, new, improved version of who we are. I think about one of the, the films is, that is, I think has been nominated for an Academy Award it's, it's an old story retold. Uh, many of you, if you haven't seen The, the Les Miserables, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful film. It's a musical. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it can be powerfully emotive, and it was moving. And there's this, you know, Victor Hugo's story, which I've seen on the stage, and I, I've seen it in the film version of it, where it was just a drama. But the musical, it moved me in a very different way, because when Hugo wrote the story, he was talking about a man who was so angry and bitter because he had been treated so unfairly. He was falsely, just unjustly imprisoned in, for something that he should have never been put in there for and then just 
treated so inhumanely with such abusiveness that he had deep anger and hatred inside of him that even after he was freed, 24601 was freed out, he was still in prison. So he didn't have any chains on him, but he's so angry, so bitter, so hurt that he can't love anybody, let alone himself. And it's this, the way it's set up in the, in the story is he runs into the priest who forgives him when he clearly commits a crime and extends to him the grace of God and says, basically, I've bought you for God. You can't, you've got to open up your heart to him. And there, in, the music, in the film version, the musical version, there's this moment where he's in the cathedral, like a little chapel, and he just, he starts singing to God. Can you free me? Can it be true that, I have, that you have another plan for my life? Can I be open to you in a way that I've never been able to do before? Has this man bought me for you? It's a powerful moment. If I could sing it, I would do it. <laughs> but I can't, so. I mean, I could, but I don't know. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good. But I was thinking, and he walks out, and he's just frees, and he starts a new life. And I reminded myself that this is how God works in all of us. You say, well, this is all about us. You know, so much of what you're saying has to do with you and slowing down and reflecting on your life and your per Yeah, you know why? Because the way we are affects other people. That's why. That's why the Lord cares about, he, he cares about us intrinsically, yes, for who we are. But he also cares about the effect and the impact and the influence we have. And I'm thinking, you know, in the same way that, that in, in, in the Miserable, the same way that the priest affects Jean Valjean by extending to him grace in the name of the Lord, it, it, it alters him. It becomes a catalytic moment of conversion in his life that sets him on a path where he becomes then a very different man, opening his own life to God and the good works that he would do through him. And all, it has a ripple effect. And a lot of times in our lives, we've got stuff in us that's been passed down from generation to generation. And so our tendency is to say, well, that's who I am. That's how I relate. Take me or leave me. But you know what the Lord says? No, you don't get away with that when you sign on with me. I'm challenging you to grow, to become, to submit everything at the foot of the cross. Even the stuff you say, well, that's just who I am. Well, you know what? Who I am is, is someone who is open to being changed by the Lord. That's who I'm supposed to be. If I've opened my life to him, if I've opened the window of my heart to him and said, come into my life, and if you haven't done it, do it. And tell someone, Lord, I just welcome you into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, set me free, I accept your life. But when we do that, we become an expression. We, he begins to work in our lives. And I'll just tell you, and this will be the last thing I'll say around this, that not only does he want us to forget the past, so to speak, or at least let it go, certainly not live in it, appreciate it maybe, but he wants to not only embrace today, but he also wants us to do it with an idea that we have an eye to what is yet to come. Let me put it this way. There was this moment in the life of Christ. If you read John's gospel, there are four gospels, four books that talk about the life of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's account is unique. Not contradictory, just unique. It puts the accent on the love of God. 
And one of the things it has, it shows us that the other ones don't, is that there's this moment at the end of our Lord's ministry where he's getting ready. He tells them, he's got the disciples all around him, and he's telling them in John 13, he says, look, you know what? Something bad's about to happen, really bad. And you're not going to like it because they're about to come for me, and they're going to take me, and they're going to kill me. He says, but that's not the worst of it. One of you is going to be betraying me. And that's not the worst of it as well. Because the other one of you, fat Peter, it's you. You're going to deny me. Fat all, you're going to leave me. And they're stunned. They're processing. Again, it's John's account. And finally, Jesus says this to them. And it's what makes up the first three verses of John 14. Is in the context of their stunned fear and shakenness at what he has just said, that he turns to them and he says these words. Don't let your heart be filled with all kinds of anxiety, fear, and don't let it be troubled. You know what he says? Look, look at, it's almost like Jesus says this to them. I, I see it. Look at me. You believe in God? Believe in me. I'm tell, and then he says this, I tell you a truth. In my father's house, this version says many mansions. It means dwelling places. There is a home yet to come. In my father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. And then he says these words. He says, if it was not true, I would tell you right now. I'm not making this. It's like he's saying, I wouldn't mislead you now on this. It's like Jesus could have said, this is it. But he says, no, this is not it. It's a power. I mean, it's powerful. I look at it, I go, whoa, Lord, what are you saying to us? It's almost like he says, stay tuned. More to come. <laughs> In my father's house are many, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I wouldn't play this game and mislead you. No, that's not who I am. I tell you that if I go, I will also come again. Where I'm going now, you cannot come, but someday you will. You walk with me, you trust me. Don't let fear grip you. I'm about to do something. You may not understand it, but you will see. It's all part of the plan. Now, how are we to take that? He's reminding us that we are, he always told people, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, don't just get locked into the temporal world. Always remember there's an eternity that we're moving into beyond this life. When this life is done, when this mortal coil, this body is, can't contain the spirit, spirit lives on, human being, right? I know that, but I'm really an I'm a, I'm a eternal being a, on a human journey, and that journey ends, and I'm still going. And what we do with Christ makes all the difference in the world, and we'll be held accountable for our lives. That's what Jesus taught us. And that's why he told people, he said, what will it profit a person if they really do gain the whole world and lose their own soul? He said, don't lay up for yourself just treasures in this earth where moth and rust can, you know, moths can eat away and rust sets in and thieves break in and steal your account. Don't do that. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where none of that moth, rust can take it from you and no thief can steal it from you. That's how you are to live. Be, he says, rich towards God in the way in which you live. And then love others, love God, love others. This is the way because we're on our way. 
So between the, the cradle and the grave, we have this thing called life. And then now, wherever we are, we've got an end game. Between now and then, we need to allow what he says is an eternal perspective to, to affect how we're living in the present. That's why we need to ask ourselves questions. What questions should we be asking at this stage in our life? What adjustments should we be making? What priorities should we be pursuing? What habits should we be honoring? What attitudes should we be adjusting? What actions should we be taking? What people should we be loving better? That's called listening to our lives and numbering our days. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come before you, and we want to be a people who truly engage what you taught us, not just on the periphery, not just as a means of getting to heaven, which, what a gift that is, Lord. Okay, I, I don't even understand it. Totally, I don't. But what I do understand is that heaven has come to earth and has created a pathway for us to follow, a path. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You're the good shepherd. You lead us. You, you lead us who are prone to wander in the path that we should go. And so, Lord, we bring, you, we bring you as much as we can. We bring you our brokenness. We bring you our dreams. We bring you our life. We, can, we cannot repay the debt we owe you. You gave everything for us, but we can give you back our lives with their contradictions. And we can say, Lord, by your grace, which is all over my life, all over our life, we will seek to honor you and be a growing people who love you and represent you and touch others for you. We'll apply ourselves to wisdom and to knowing you. We'll ask real questions and we'll slow down to listen. Help us to do these things, Lord. Help us to invest in what really matters and not just get caught up in running the game of life that we miss life as you showed it to us. Help us, Lord, to love well, to love like there's no tomorrow, to live like we're on borrowed time. And so I pray for your blessing. Bless the song, which we end with, which is just so connected to what we've been sharing. And, and bless our time of giving, as many of us honor you with our tithes and our offerings, the best that we have. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.